Jude, verses 17 to 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So I'm not exactly sure how, I, how old I was, whether I'd made it to my teenage years or whether I was still a preteen, but that was when I bought my first boning knife. It was a Vitronox and it had a nice wooden handle, looked pretty good, and I sharpened it up razor sharp and I had lots of bare patches on my arm from where I tested it. And I made a leather sheath for it, it fitted nicely. So it was my pigging knife, it was my boning knife, it was my killing sheep knife, it was my cutting the legs off kangaroos for the dog's knife, it was my everything knife. Anyway, one day my mum asked me to cut up some meat for her. Now I can't remember what sort of meat it was, but it came wrapped up in butcher's paper. And so I did what she asked, and, and then I left the knife and the cutting board and the soiled paper all sitting on the bench for my mum to deal with because I had to go out in the paddock because I had important things to do. Anyway, later that afternoon, I came home. I went looking for my knife so that I could put it into its leather sheath and put it back where I knew where it was. And I searched and searched and searched, couldn't find it. And I asked mum, mum, where's that knife? Oh, I don't know. And eventually we thought, oh no, maybe it got bundled up with all of that dirty, filthy, bloody butcher's paper. Mum, what happened with the butcher's paper? Oh, your dad burned it. So I went out to the incinerator and I scratched through the ashes and I found a burnt blade with no wooden handle at all. Definitely not a nice one. And it was all very sad. And everyone went, poor Michael. He was very sad. Anyway, last week we began studying the book of Jude. And I'm going to have to give you a bit of a recap because so many of you weren't here. Um, anyway, the, the message of Jude is that the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints is under attack. In the Christian church, godly doctrine, what we believe about Jesus, what was passed down to us by Jesus and his apostles is under attack. And so Jude exhorts us to contend for the faith. That means to struggle for the faith, fight for the faith. And what had happened was false teachers, think wolves in sheep's clothing, had snuck into the church and they pervert the grace of God into sensuality. Now, sensuality are those things which appeal to the flesh. But when the Bible talks about sensuality, it's especially um, sexual sins and, and sexual depravity and stuff. And, and filled with a sense of spiritual pride and superiority, 
these false teachers would lead people astray. They, they would affirm those who are tempted by sensual sin and say, it's okay, just go with it, no problem. They affirm them in their sin by claiming, well, that's not a sin anymore. Or by claiming, you know what? We believe in the grace of God. And you can just go on doing what you're doing and it doesn't matter because the grace of God will just override all that. And the message last week is that these false teachers will be judged. In their spiritual arrogance, they believed that they were safe and there would be no judgment for them. But Jude very bluntly tells us that they are doomed for the eternal fires of God's judgment. And so we ended last week's message by seeing a very significant contrast. He's writing to the faithful who are beloved, kept, and called. And his prayer for them was that they would have a multiplication of mercy, peace, and love. But within the church, there are grumbling malcontents following their own sinful desires and set apart for judgment. And that's a significant contrast. And so we are to contend for the faith, the faith that was once and for all time delivered to the saints in our Lord Jesus Christ and in his truth, there is mercy, peace and love, but outside of the faith is judgment. So that's what we covered last week. But what we didn't get to is how to do that. How do we contend for the faith? So like that, that good, almost brand new boning knife that, that got caught up in the foul rubbish and got burned, how do we contend for the faith? And how do we make sure that others in the church don't get all tangled up in a foul perversion of the gospel that uses grace as an excuse for ungodliness and leads to destruction. One, remember. I suspect there is no kingdom more at risk than a kingdom who doesn't realise that it has an enemy. And especially if that enemy is an enemy that's infiltrated it, and it's an enemy within. Now, in the church, we don't like to hear about warnings about false teachers. Um, but the thing is, in the scriptures, it just keeps coming over and over and over again. And, but we don't like hearing about it, especially when those teachers, they might come across as being really friendly, amenable sorts of folk, popular. And especially when that teacher focuses on, on something as wonderful as grace. And they speak with some kind of spiritual authority. It's hard not to like such a person. And that's why the first thing we have to do is to remember the apostles and our Lord Jesus Christ told us that there would be false teachers in the church. Jesus told us that they'd be like wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, they would appear all very godly, but they were anything but. Paul told us that they would pervert the way of truth. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13 that the false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But Jesus also said at that point, but be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand 
right? Remember what Jesus has told us. Paul warned us that false prophets and deceitful workmen, he calls them, disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. They will be leaders within the church. And he tells us that we shouldn't be surprised by this because Satan himself disguises himself, tries to pass himself off as an angel of light. And Paul also tells us that those who refuse to love the truth will instead love what is false. And Peter warned us, there will be false prophets among you. There will be false prophets in local churches. These aren't people who we will never see. Right? So it's not that you have a paranoid preacher rabbiting on about things that don't exist and, and who has a habit of jumping at shadows. The Christian church is under attack, we are in no doubt. And don't be surprised by this. Jesus warned us, the apostles warned us, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passion. Now, scoffers, you know, that's not just people who go, ah, right? Scoffers, when you look back into the Psalms and wisdom literature of the Old Testament, the scoffer is often presented as the one who ignores God and ignores God's commands. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So remember, we are living in the last days. When Jesus ascended into heaven, that's when we entered the last days. On God's timeline of significant events, the next big one is Jesus returns. We are living in the last days. And in these last days, there will be scoffers who reject holiness and they reject God's moral law. And instead, they will embrace perversions of grace. So remember... Don't get caught out, watch out for them. Two, recognise. Recognise ungodly teaching and ungodly behaviour for what it is. Jude says in verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. It, it takes wisdom, it takes discernment to be able to distinguish between godly teachers and ungodly teachers. But it's really not that hard. I suspect that what makes it harder for us and, and what allows ungodly teaching to flourish within the Christian church is that's the sort of teaching our flesh wants to hear. And we listen to what the flesh wants to hear more so than what the spirit wants to hear. It's the message that, that appeals to our fleshly nature and it's something that, that affirms us in our ungodliness. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says that the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. You just scratched your ear right, right on cue then, Jim. <laughs> having itching ears, and Jim goes, <laughs> now I've lost my place. <laughs> having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We need to be alert. Um, we need to recognise ungodly teaching and ungodly behaviour for what it is. Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. Three, 
A strong, healthy body resists infection. So the third point is build up godly, holy faith within the church. Verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do we do that? How do we build ourselves up? Well, with what is godly, of course. Godly teaching. Study the scriptures. Holding firm to the gospel. If what is coming under attack is the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, this is what we need to embrace. This is what we need to teach. This is what we need to learn. This is what we need to fight for and contend for is the faith. It needs to be the focus of our attention. And it is our most holy faith. Do you know what holiness means? Holiness is is to be sanctified. It is to be set apart. It is to be pure. It is to be distinctly different from that is profane. It is to be distinctly different to the world. To contend for the faith includes standing strong in the faith. So when when he says build yourself up, it's not so much an individual action. He's talking to a church here. So as a church, we need to build ourselves up. That means we're building ourselves up and we're building each other up in our most holy faith. Not the most lax faith, not the most popular faith, not the most world-friendly faith, not even the most seeker-friendly faith, the most holy faith. Now, when you visit a church, you you can very quickly see what sort of building up is going on in that place. Is its aim to build up numbers at the expense of holiness, or is its aim to build up in holiness and godliness? Take notice, what, what kind of message is being given? Is it a message that appeals to the flesh? Is it a message that that appeals to my love of self or to my love of money? Is it a message that that appeals to my base animal instincts? Or is it a message that, that cuts deep, that allows the Word of God to do what the Word of God is intended to do, cut deep and convict me of sin? Is it, is it the word that, that, that urges us to live in righteousness and holiness? Is it something which encourages us to fix our eyes on eternity and urges us to forsake everything else in our lives for the sake of Jesus? Build up holy, godly faith within the church. Next, how we pray matters. So the fourth point, pray spiritual prayers. By the way, um, I'm pretty sure a spiritual prayer doesn't mean that I just speak louder. And it doesn't mean that I've got a million, million miles an hour like I'm, I'm uh, training to be an auctioneer. I'm, I'm pretty sure that a spiritual prayer is more about what we pray. And when we pray, remember we're talking to our Heavenly Father. You don't yell at your dad when you're talking to him. You don't try and speak a million miles an hour when you're talking to your dad. 
<laughs> Why are you laughing? You've been yelling at your dad. <laughs> uh, oh, he's deaf, is he? Oh, I see. I like it when my kids yell at me. I can actually hear them. Yes. Um, it's more about what we pray for. And remember, what we pray should be in line with the Father's heart. What we pray for tells us a lot about what kind of a gospel we embrace. And when we contend for the faith by, by praying spiritual prayers, we need to remember we are not battling against flesh and blood, right? This is contending for the faith. This is fighting for the faith. This is a fight, but it's a spiritual fight. It is God who is fighting on our behalf. And the battle belongs to the Lord. And so we pray. We pray for the unsaved. We pray that they would hear the gospel and repent of sin to be saved. We pray that their lives would be transformed. We pray for, for our brothers and sisters in Christ that we pray for those who are being led and tempted by sensual sin, that they would hear and receive correction and that they would embrace holiness. And we pray that the faith that was taught by Jesus and the apostles to the early church would be the faith that is taught and proclaimed here and would be the faith that is proclaimed from generation to generation. I don't know if you realise this or not, but, but prayer, spiritual prayer is the most powerful armament at our disposal as we contend for the faith. Pray. Five, endure in God's love by keeping his commands. Now, this is one which can get a little bit contentious. Back in verse one, we are told that we are kept. Right? God keeps us. But now we're being told in verse 21 to keep ourselves. Verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. So what's going on here? And this is where the contention comes. Is it God who keeps us or do we keep ourselves? Well, it shouldn't be a contention because it's both. Now, many people will be very quick to point out to me Romans chapter 8 and say, Michael, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Is that true? And the answer is, well, the Bible says it, so it's got to be true. Is that what the Bible says? Let's take a look at, at Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, in, in, in what things? In persecution, he's talking about. In persecution. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, now that's, that's become what we call a proof text um, for a belief that, okay, once I become a Christian, I can never stop being a Christian. But Romans 8 isn't talking about that. Romans chapter 8 is talking about when we are in Christ. It's talking about a person whose faith is so strong in Jesus that, 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 that when I'm in Christ and, and when my faith is in him, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And specifically talking about persecution. Why is the devil so keen on persecuting the Christian church? And, and be aware that persecution is a tool of the devil. Why? The devil's aim of persecution is to try and get Christians to deny Jesus. Right? And the big carroty dangles is if you deny Jesus, the torture will stop. If you deny Jesus, I will let you live. But if you don't, I'm going to torture you, I'm going to torture your family, and I'm going to kill you and your family. But to the person of faith, that is no threat. Because if he takes my body, he cannot take my soul. And Romans chapter 8 is entirely about the faithful who at the threat of death will not let go of their faith. And because they are in Christ, they are in the love of God and they are kept. Did you notice there was something that wasn't listed there that can't take me away from the love of God? myself. We are told numerous times to keep ourselves in the faith, keep ourselves in the love of God. Now, how do we do that? We remain in Christ and remain in his love. Jesus said in John chapter 15, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And then he gives us a command. Abide in my love. Abide means remain, stay in. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, do you notice the word if there? The word if in the Bible's very important. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commands and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If I don't keep the commandments of our Lord, I'm not going to experience the joy of Christ. Why not? Because I'm not in Christ and I'm not in his love. Yeah, some folk just wonder, why do I have no joy in my Christian experience? Well, are you walking in the paths of Christ? Are you being a disciple of Jesus, following him and following his ways? Why would there be joy if I reject Christ and his ways? It, it distills it down for us. It becomes a choice between loving things of the flesh and loving sensual sin and, and being enveloped by ungodliness or living in Christ and obeying his word 
and being enveloped with his love and joy and peace. And how long can we keep that up? That's a strange question to ask because it's not a burden. It's not a burden to keep up following the ways of Jesus because point number six is we wait in hope. The great hope of disciples of Jesus is our eternal hope. What are we waiting for? We are waiting for the return of Jesus. He's coming soon, by the way. I don't know when he's coming. Um, he might come before the, the end of the today. He might come even before the end of this message. And I'm, I don't know how I'd feel about that because I spent a fair bit of time preparing it. But I'm pretty sure it's not all about me. In fact, Robin wrote on the order of service that we didn't even have a message today. Uh, maybe she knew something. I'm very happy for Jesus to come, but it could be another thousand years. We don't know when Jesus is going to come. But what we do is we wait for the day of his coming. We wait for the day of his mercy to come. Do you see the return of Jesus as a day of mercy? I hope you do. It, it, it's a very different day for a Christian to a non-Christian. You see, for those who are in Christ... The day of the Lord will be a day of mercy and peace and celebration. But for those who pervert the faith, it'll be a day of turmoil, a day of judgment, and a day of retribution. And so we wait for his coming. But the trouble with, with waiting for something that's not something we really do today. I mean, like, we live in the age of buy now, pay later, right? If I can't afford it, I'll buy it and, and I'll, I'll pay back later. And, and it's an age of instant gratification. I don't have to wait until I can get to a shop to buy a um, cassette or a CD. I just download it straight off the internet now. We live in an age of instant gratification. And that's what many are looking for in their experience of God. Now, I don't know about you, but the gospel message that I often hear being preached today, it often has far less to do with holiness and, and far less to do with eternal life. And it's more about what's going to make me happy. It's about, might be about how to get rich or how to get ahead in the world or how to be a person of influence, or how just simply to get my wife to love me, or how to have a happy family that isn't always fighting with each other, or how to live a fulfilled life. And all of that stuff, why is that so popular? Why is that what's being proclaimed? It's because it gives us an immediate sense of gratification. I don't have to wait for that, like I have to wait for Jesus. And that's why that message today is so popular. The faith, the great hope of disciples of Jesus is hope eternal. And so Jude reminds us that as we contend for the faith, we are waiting in the mercy of our Lord. Waiting in the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What's waiting look like? Waiting doesn't mean we're sitting around twiddling our thumbs. Oh, come on, come on. There's plenty to do while we wait. 
It involves our whole life. Waiting for, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life involves in orientating our whole life to this great hope that we have. Living in Christ and living in holiness. We do not live for today. We live for eternity. Now, at this point, the word mercy becomes a key word. And Jude is reminding us that, that we, as a people in Christ, receive mercy. Is there anyone here dissatisfied with the amount of mercy they've received from God? Whew, thank goodness for that. I worded it the right way. If I had to said, how many people here are satisfied with the amount of mercy that they got from God? How many people would put up their hands? See, no one ever puts up their hands here. I've got a... God is wonderful. The amount of mercy he's shown us is amazing. And if God has shown mercy to us, we too must be merciful to those who sin. We're even to be merciful to those who are tempted to sin. And we're even told here to be merciful to those who lead others to sin. And if I am not merciful to the sinner, maybe I need to ask myself the question, do I fully realise the extent of the mercy and grace that I personally have received from God? Because God has shown us mercy, we show mercy to others. And so we come to point number seven, correct with saving mercy. And, and how do we do that? Well, how we do that depends on how far gone the person is that we're dealing with. And so there's, there's three stages here that we've got listed. The first word is for those who are swaying. Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. Right? So when a brother or sister in Christ is struggling with a temptation and then they hear a teaching that, that tells them and, and proclaims with all spiritual authority, you don't have to struggle with that anymore, just go with it. You know, that, and it won't be a sin for you, just rely on the grace of God. Now when they hear a message like that and it comes with all spiritual sounding authority, they might start to doubt and start to wonder, okay, who should I be listening to? Now, for disciples of Jesus to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith, for this brother or sister in Christ, means that we have to be merciful like our God is merciful. And when a person doubts, we gently correct them. And we do all of what we've talked about in the other points. We take them to the teaching of Jesus and the apostles and help them to remember that what they've told us about there will be people who will come in later on and, and pervert God's ways. And, and they will be tempting people to follow ungodly passions. Show them that, that Jesus and the apostles warned us about that. And then we have to help them to recognise that, that what is causing them to doubt is what we've been warned about. And, and help them to recognise that the sin that they are being led into is ungodly. 
then we help to build them up in godly, holy faith. We lead them into, into spiritual prayer and we pray for them. We show them how, how the joy of, of being in the love of Christ Jesus, how that means that we will also keep his commands. And we remind them that we are waiting together, them and us, for the great hope that we have. And that when Jesus returns, he's coming for a pure bride. And how as, as we wait in hope, our whole life is orientated toward this hope instead of just living for immediate gratification. And because God is merciful to us, we do all of this with mercy. The second word is for those who have been enticed into sin. Jude says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now, to understand this, we need to realise that he's quoting from the Old Testament prophet, Zechariah chapter 3. Let me just give you a bit of background here. Zechariah has a vision. And in his vision, that the high priest of Jerusalem is there, and he represents God's chosen people, right? So God had chosen Israel, and this high priest represents represents them. It says they are a brand plucked out from the fire. Right now, when we think of a brand, we think of a hot thing that put on. A brand is actually a stick, right? So a, a, a stick that's in the fire. He snatches that out of the fire before it gets burned. Now this itself is a picture of the mercy of God. Israel didn't deserve to be saved from its sin. Israel deserved the eternal fires of punishment, but God plucked them out of the fire. But the problem is Israel were not living in holiness. And in Zechariah, we have the picture of the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord clothed in filthy garments. Now, wherever the Bible talks about filthy garments, it's a picture of sin and unholiness. And what a terrible picture this is. He, he represents the people who have been saved by the mercy of God, but he's filthy in unholiness. And the word in Zechariah chapter 3 is, Behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And God did. And then the word of the Lord said, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. What's he talking about? The right of access among those standing here. Where is he? He's before God and the angels. He's at the throne room of heaven. And then he goes on to tell the high priest that all of this is a sign for those who are yet to come. And he tells about, he gives an image of when the Messiah comes. That was a sign in Zechariah for us who are living in Christ. How do we contend for the faith? 
for those who have been enticed to sin. We remind them of the mercy of God. When they were saved, when we were saved, we were plucked from the fire. But they've rejected God. And they reject his commands and they reject the faith and they're led astray by perversions of grace into sensuality and then filthy robes. And they're in danger of the fires of judgment once again. If we walk in God's ways and keep his charge, he will give us right of access to the throne room of heaven. Because we've earned it? Because we've been so good? No. Because of the mercy of God. Because Jesus died on the cross to make us pure and holy. So the word for these, it was a much stronger word than for those who are doubting in their faith. But it's still done with mercy. And then we come to a message for the third group. Now this is a different kettle of fish altogether. This is for a people who have committed themselves to a life of ungodliness. And it would also include the ungodly teachers in the church. Jude says, to others, right? So he's already covered those who doubt. He's already covered those who have been led into sin. What's left? It has to be the scoffers. It has to be those who have committed themselves to the ungodly path. They have been warned over and over and over again, stop following the way you're going, turn back to Jesus. And they've ignored it, and instead they've decided to follow their own ungodly passions. And to these, Jude says, to, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I think probably the easiest way to say this is love the sinner, hate the sin. Even the worst of sinners, think of the worst sinner you could possibly think of. Love him or her, but hate their sin. Even corruptors of the gospel are to be shown mercy, but mercy with fear. Even when someone embraces a life of sin and commits themselves onto a godless trajectory, our hope and our prayer must remain that they will repent, that they will turn away from the path that they've set themselves on, and that they would repent and be, find forgiveness in our Lord Jesus Christ. But what's this with fear bit? It's fear of God. We're not to be afraid of a sinner. There's nothing a sinner can do to you. Fear not, says God. It's a fear of God. And, and hating even the garment stained by the flesh means do not let a perversion of the gospel and do not let sensual sin rub off on us and be something that we start doing ourselves. Don't let it be a temptation to us. Now that might mean that in the most strongest of cases, when somebody is promoting 
these evil ways in the church and they will not be silent. Sometimes that means putting that person out of the church and we see um, mechanisms for that in other passages of scripture. But true godliness for us is, is being able to hate with every fibre of our being sin. Hating sin. God hates sin. Therefore, godliness means that we also will hate it. And yet loving the one who does sin. So much so that we're filled with mercy for them. And we pray for their salvation whilst not being polluted by that sin ourselves. So that's how we contend for the faith. We remember the warnings that, that Jesus and the apostles gave to watch out for false teachings. We need to be able to recognise ungodly actions and ungodly teaching for what it is. We build up godly, holy faith within the church. We pray spiritual prayer. We pray for godly things rather than fleshly stuff. We endure in God's love by keeping his commands. We focus on our eternal hope and we wait for the, for the return of Jesus with our whole life orientated toward this hope. And we correct with saving mercy. Very gently for those who doubt, pointing them towards Christ. Very bluntly, for those who have been led into sin, warning them that their path will lead them to destruction. And for those who have committed themselves to the godless path, in mercy we pray for them and we try to correct them. But if it comes to that point where, where they may not be welcome in the church anymore because they are polluting the gospel. So we can tend for the faith because in our Lord Jesus Christ and in his truth, there is mercy, peace and love. Outside of the faith is judgment. Let's pray. Lord, strengthen us. Build up godly, holy faith within this church. As we await for the return of our Lord Jesus, Keep us vigilant, keep us pure. Strengthen us so that we would abide in your love, walking by your glorious, wonderful commands. Lord, give us love and mercy for the sinner. Remind us of the great mercy that you have shown us as you give us many opportunities to show mercy to the sinner and mercy even to those who have led others astray. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who may be doubting. Use us as a church together to strengthen them that they may not fall. We pray for those who have been led to sin. Lord, convict them of their sin and open their ears to heed your warning. Repent. And Lord, we, we pray for those who have committed themselves to a life of sin and ungodliness and still believe that they are in your will. Lord, for us, sometimes it's very hard to, to acknowledge that those whom we love have fallen so far. But Lord, we pray for them, convict them, 
and lead them to repentance and guard us that none would be caught up in a foul perversion of grace. We pray for their restoration, Lord, and we pray and we wait for you. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.